The Longbox Crusade presents monthly Monday movie muckabout because the podcasting world needs another movie review show. I am Rick, also known as Not Jeff from Jeff and Rick Present, and I love movies. I've got this huge collection of movies, which I keep bragging about, and you all know that along with that collection, I have taken over the lovely Longbox Crusade attic, which I have been told is much more comfortable than any other room in the house. I think that's true because we've got these wonderful recliners and they're soft. We've got the popcorn machine that always has hot and cold running popcorn. Well, it's never cold, but you get what I mean. But I'm beside the point. I am bragging way too much because, you know, I've cleaned up the place because I knew that Laurel was coming. That's right, Laurel from the Huntress Podcast, the Birds of Prey Podcast, and not an employee of Longbox Crusade, right? That is correct. Do not listen to Jared or Jason or any of those people. They don't know what they're talking about. And I'll tell you what, Clinton down in the basement, he's starting to get on it too. He's been struggling with the, the, you know, he forgets these things. And I'm like, your room up here is more comfortable than his fan film Friday basement. Yeah. So, you know, maybe I should hang out up here when I come to try to deliver this cease and desist order. You know, I I think you should. And you will always be welcome up here because (laughs) I will never put you to work. Well, sometimes I'll put you to work. Sometimes I'll make you watch a movie. But that's beside the point. Laurel, first time here. Tell us about your love of movies. What do you think about movies? Where'd you come up with a passion for them? Oh, I like movies. Um, To be honest, I haven't watched as many lately in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so at least. But there was a time when I actually would make my own double features on a Saturday. You know, you go in, you pay, uh, you come back out, you pay again, you go in, and I'd be sitting there just me and like music playing. The uh, the ads hadn't even started yet because I'm just killing time eating something before the next one. (laughs) So there, you know, I had that kind of an enjoyment of it. Um, I had a little bit, I had a film class, intro to film, I'm mm-hmm. um, actually a video production was my major, but they made us take film and the way film people look at films and process the art of the world is so different than what I can do. I, I'm more basic than that. But ever since then, I've tried to take those lessons and use them. Mm-hmm. And some films, it's just amazing. And I think I am so lucky to live in a world where I get to do this. This is the art form that I'm allowed to look at. We're not having to, I just, there's something about being in the theater with the dark Mm -hmm. and the light of the screen and then this great scenery will come up or the costuming or something and you're just like, oh, this is great. I agree. I took a lot of different film class in college. Whenever I had an opportunity to take a film class that was tangentially related to my major, I would take it. I became an expert at the syllabus. But I completely agree. You take some of those classes, you learn just a little bit more about film, about what to look for. I always remember one thing a teacher told me, we will watch bad movies and we will watch good movies. And you need to watch bad ones to understand what makes them bad and to what makes the good ones good. That is a really good philosophy. I have really embraced it. It's like, yes, even with bad movies, you can sometimes find things you like. And it's okay to find great movies that aren't good. (laughs) But you also said something about watching a movie and just really enjoying the cinematography or the scenery or the set decorations or the costuming. My wife and I are currently watching The Batman and we're watching on HBO Max or we're watching over the course of a couple nights. But 
And I noticed that I really like the cinematography. My wife's like, why are you paying attention to cinematography? I'm like, I just, it's standing out to me in this film. I like the aesthetics of it. I like what it's doing. I like how the storytelling that's telling. So I agree with you. Sometimes you find yourself really focusing in on those things. Yep, that's a lot of where I came from. But like I said, my knowledge is the beginning of it. I I feel like there's folks who can see so much more than I can. I'm just going to take what I what I see and run with it because sometimes the reviewers you hear them review a movie and I think but it was fun I had a good time you know <laughs> I don't care another movie podcast I like to listen to their mantra is they're called we hate movies and they rip movies to shreds but at the same time they always say it is okay to like a movie it is okay to like a movie we may hate this movie and we may make fun of it from beginning to end. But if you like it, that's okay. And it's also okay to hate a movie as well. Well, hopefully that won't be what happens here. I am curious on that. I don't think so. But we're going to find out. Like all my guests, or most of them anyways, I asked for a list of movies and you gave me a fantastic list. But then you said, if you could possibly do (laughs) one of these two movies. So I, I took that into consideration. I would like you, Laurel, to watch Gravity from 2013. Now, this is a science fiction thriller film that's directed by Alfonso Cuaron with Sandra Bullock and George Clooney. Besides that, what do you know about this film? Absolutely nothing. I know that they're supposed to do some interesting wire work, I think, some sort of something like that. I know the visuals are supposed to be interesting. It was recommended to me by someone in my science fiction book club, and... I made them stop immediately after they said, this is a really good movie. You should see it. And I said, don't tell me anything more. Just stop there. So I have no clue other than, yeah, it's going to have really good visuals. And it's just the two of them, I think, for the majority of it, I guess. I don't know. I'm really looking forward to finding out. I, I didn't even read the blurb on the back of the box or on the, you know, I was just like, no, I'll just wait. It'll be fine. When did you have this class? How long has it been since you've been sitting on this potential movie? On this movie? Oh, this was a book club, so when it came out, which, I'm sorry, what year did you say it came out? 2013. (laughs) Yeah, well, book club's been going since 2008. I run this science fiction fantasy book club, so, (laughs) you know, it could have been any time since 2008. Why has it taken you so long to see the film, then? Uh, You know what? I just don't have the time, I guess, to, to, I don't sit and take the time. I should. The other thing is, especially when I don't get to it in in a theater, that's Mm -hmm. really the best way to look at it. And I hesitate sometimes on movies like this because the screen I'm watching it on is not always the best. Sometimes the blacks, you know, overpower that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I hesitate, but I felt guilty that I haven't watched this and they told me I should watch it. And I've waited all these years and we've never talked about it and they wanted to. Well, I am glad to finally give you and your fellow book club members a chance to discuss this film after (laughs) you have got a chance to see it and after you've got a chance to talk to me about it. But before we can do any of that, you need to go get the movie, sit down on some screen, hopefully one that's going to let you appreciate the blackness of space, and then we will come back and talk about it. But in the meantime, here is a trailer from 2013's Gravity. Is 
are back. So I hope you had a chance to watch or rewatch Gravity, but if you have not, I will take a moment and give a quick synopsis of the film. During a spacewalk to service the Hubble Space Telescope, Dr. Ryan Stone and a veteran astronaut, Matt Kowalski, are set adrift in space due to a collision with a cloud of space debris. The situation of depleting power and a low oxygen supply complicates their escape to the International Space Station, and Commander Kowalski sacrifices himself to allow Dr. Stone an opportunity to save herself. Alone in space, with no communication to Mission Control or anyone else, Dr. Stone must confront personal and physical obstacles to safely return to Earth. So, Laurel, this is your first time watching the film. What did you think? What was your first impression? How did it meet up with any of your expectations? I, I enjoyed it. First of all, before we get any further, I liked mm -hmm. the film. I, had, I think it was really neat. I did not realize how much this is a Sandra Bullock's film. She has to carry this. It's all her. George Clooney's in it for like a third of the film. I did not realize yes. that. I thought it would be the two of them working together. So I was not expecting that. And what impresses me is she held the film. I was interested the whole time. So to me, that was big acting kudos on that. The film work was terribly interesting. I did a lot of sitting back going, how do they do this? <laughs> Is it all CGI or the Martian was going by? What's his name? Marvin the Martian yep, goes yep. floating by at one point. I'm like, okay, whose idea was that? That was a good one. Yeah. It was really neat. So those are, I guess, are my initial things. The emotional weight as well as the action really all rests on Sandra Bullock. That's our, our point of view character. Yeah, this is a, a solo film. In fact, there's only one time that she's actually on screen outside of the suits with another person. And then you quickly find out, hang on, that's just her hallucination. So you, 
she is physically separated the entire film from everybody. And the only other person that we really see in here as a person is George Clooney, but he's just moving her to the next step and kind of giving her that initial push to save herself. But beyond that, it's, it is her story. It is her struggle. It is her survival that the film is about. Well, as far as the George Clooney character, Kowalski there, he comes off as this jokey person, you know, he's floating around and testing the jetpack thing and all this stuff. And then in moments we had to flip into astronaut mode. He was all over. Yeah. Instant yeah. I was like, okay, now I'm really impressed with this character because I thought, oh my gosh, I got to put up with this guy this whole movie. No, you, you don't. But it was nice when he calmed down and then you realized how he's using that humor. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about him. We can just kind of talk about him and get him out of the way because <laughs> he's a small part of the film. He is the veteran commander. He's a veteran astronaut. He has done this multiple times. He is the expert. And, and and he's seen it all. He's done it all. He's going kind of going for the record for the most spacewalks. He tells jokes, like you said, plays music. He's a bit of a cowboy, but instantly when action occurs, because he's a veteran, he lets the training take over and he knows how to relax, calm down in the situation and talk to people. It's a reason probably why he is the commander is because he knows how to do this very well. How'd you think about Pretty Boy, solid George Clooney in that role? Did you like him or not? Yes, I did. I think he did a nice job. I think when he he has a good voice for steadying her. Mm-hmm. When he has to say, you need to do X, Y, Z, disconnect right now. I need you to do this. And then when they're floating and he's like, okay, well, tell me about what's on earth for you. He's trying to talk her down. Mm -hmm. And then when he gives her instructions or encouragement or whatever, it worked really well because I think his voice changed Mm -hmm. and he went into full astronaut. That was one of the things that I was questioning about this is she's had the six months of training, but she's not an astronaut. You can just tell because of the way she's reacting to the problems Mm -hmm. where he had that self-confidence that she didn't quite have there at the beginning, especially. I would argue just a bit in saying that once you get up into space, you're an astronaut. I would say that she's not experienced with it. It's her first time. She's had the six months. We hear her talking later on about how she has gone through the simulator and always crashed it. She is brand new. She This is her first time up there. This is her opportunity to do this. But yeah, she is green behind the ears. She's a newbie up there. She's a new person to this entire situation. Well, it sounded to me like she was in the medical field of some sort. Yes. Yeah. And so it hit me that it's not something that she's been studying for her whole life kind of thing, mm-hmm. devoted stuff to. Although I will say Sandra Bullock, as far as when she does get out of the suit, she's very sleep. She's not yeah. over my muscled, but she's definitely in good shape to be doing this. I thought that was, you know, you had to have that for this movie. So I'm glad that the actress took the time uh, (laughs) to do that because Lord knows I couldn't pull that off. But I did want to say that you could tell that she'd been working for this movie, both the character as well, of course, as the actress. And I I think the relationship between the two, I think the chemistry between Clooney and Bullock is really good and it's believable. They're not close, but you can tell that she does respect him and he commands the respect. But at the same time, you can tell that they've got a good working relationship and they've had a good working relationship in this flight that they've taken. Yeah, I will agree with that. I don't know if you want to talk more about her. Can I get into that more? Let's dive into her. I think we've we've talked enough. We'll probably circle back a little bit with... Uh... That was his role. His role is to 
be her booster to help her get settled. <laughs> but her booster uh, physically and mentally, because yes. you know he was the booster to get her to the next step. That's true. I was thinking when he tries to find her, when she's spinning out in space, well, for one thing, I know why I didn't see this in the theater. I would have been motion sick really, really <laughs> bad when the earth is flipping over and over and mm-hmm. I get disoriented on where we are when she's climbing around the outside of ships, you know, yep. the space station and whatnot. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I, if, at one point I had to push the I was watching on my laptop. I had to push it a little further away from me. <laughs> I would agree with that. I think that the way they filmed this, the music, the sound, the visuals, it all helps to build into that that claustrophobic feeling or that motion feeling, mm-hmm. depending upon what's happening. And I think the director and the cinematographer and the entire crew did an amazing job to to show that and to have those feelings. I was watching it last night and, you know, my wife came out and said, sound is a little too loud. I'm like, oh, yeah, I have it cranked up really loud because I need something. It's everything else is quiet. You see the dead of space and the music comes in and starts pounding and it's it's the beat of a heart going faster and faster as she's getting herself worked up. They do a really good job of conveying everything about what's happening, especially when she's in the suit. You can't see her. You can't emote. Just selling it on the on the motion and the shots and the cinematography. Well, I think they did a good job of showing her face through the, sh- the, yeah. the helmet. And I did like that it would steam and then drift away, you know, that yep. so you could see the breath because she, she did a lot of heavy breathing in this. She's panicking quite frequently yep. with reason. I mean, nothing like having everything keep blowing up and there's fire and there's all kinds of stuff going on. So, but when she was spinning initially out in space by herself, I, in my mind, went, huh, I wonder if the rest of this movie is going to be a hallucination. Mm -hmm. And she's really dying out here. When we get through the whole thing and get to the end, and I'm like, oh, okay, so it wasn't a hallucination. (laughs) Because some of the yeah, sure moments, I was like, well, maybe this is just Mm -hmm. her mind. Where her mind actually was playing the tricks on her was when she was doing oxygen deprivation, when she decided she was going to going to suicide there as sort of she didn't have any hope left. I found it interesting that she was so driven to survive, especially after the loss of her daughter. Yes. Because it seemed like she was maybe half living because she worked and she said she drove and that's all she really was doing. And so the space thing was something new that she was had to work on to keep their funding or whatever. So I was surprised that she wasn't more ready to quote unquote be with her daughter. That she had yeah. this drive to live. So when she says she was afraid, who's going to mourn me? Mm-hmm. Who's going to say a prayer for me? And then she said, nobody ever taught me how to pray, which yep. I thought was very poignant. But when we get that sort of hallucination with him, again, it's the step forward, like you were saying. And suddenly she's got a resolve that she didn't before. And when she gets to the end and she's like, look, I'm either going to die or I'm not. And right. I'm ready to go. You weren't seeing that in the beginning. I think it was more, I want to survive out of fear, where this was more, I'm going to, ref- I'm going to survive because I'm feeling fierce about living again. Right. Yeah. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Yeah. That flip right there made a big difference for me. In, in this rewatch, the one thing that I was thinking about is, and maybe it's the trying to put realism to it, but the first thing I thought of was they do a lot of psychological profiling before they allow somebody to go up and do this. And my thought was, you have a lady who's by herself. She lost her daughter. She has kind of built herself up to do this. I was like, 
is this really the person that NASA wants to send up there? I think that she has some emotional baggage that she has not resolved in her own mind. And you kind of need to go up there resolved. You are you have to rely on yourself, your training. You have to rely on a lot of things. And there's this giant question of her daughter's death and that she's alone and she doesn't have anybody. I'm like, that might be something that somebody would raise their hand and say, hold on a second. Maybe we should take this person off to the side and make sure they're ready to do this. But I think you're right that by the end, you know, she has that conversation with herself and like, no, I, I want to live. I want to move forward. I want to to make sure that I survive. I found it interesting that she was talking about praying because in the International Space Station, we had a Russian icon mm-hmm. in, the, in the return vehicle. And in the Chinese Space Station, where she ends up at the end, we had what looked like the little Buddha. And yeah. I thought, so basically, the other astronauts were already in this mode. They already sort of, I I got the impression that astronauts, especially from watching things like The Martian, Mm -hmm. they know that the possibility of death is right there. Yeah. And so that's why I still argue whether she's, she's in the right mind frame for that. If the training has reached that point with her. So that kind of goes with what you're saying. Is this the right person to have in this role? On the other hand, if something did happen to her, there is no one to have to be without mom, that kind of situation. That is true. That is true. I mean, it's sad when to, it's to look sad. at it that way. It's a good conversation that you could have with the idea between science and faith. And you have this movie almost questions or brings forward that it's okay to have both. You need to have the, the faith in science and the faith that you will do the training, you will make these things happen, and you will survive if you follow these. At the same time, your own spiritual self and your own self, it's okay to believe in something beyond that you don't quite understand just for your own personal mind and sanity. Mm-hmm. So it's a nice, it's showing that there can be a balance in there and that both things can exist together. Yeah. I, I think, like I said, Sandra Bolt carried this movie beautifully. I'm not bored. I'm not like, I don't like this person or whatever. She's making all the appropriate things I loved it when she finally is got so mad and she gets up and she's, I hate space. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I thought yeah. that about 30 minutes ago because yeah. this is really intense. She did know what she was doing. I have yeah. to say what they did because she can figure out how to work all the different space stations mm-hmm. from the, the, the jetpack to the space station to the other space station and the different drives for the escape vehicles or return vehicles, whatever yeah, that, yeah, that the, expression the, the, is. So she knew how to do all those things. She did not panic when there was fire. Although it, when in the camera work, when you get in those narrow shots, I thought I could not be in this, even on land. This thing would give me such claustrophobia. But as she's swimming by, and I loved how the camera sometimes had her in the shot, and sometimes it was from her point of view. Mm-hmm. The minute I saw the fire go by, I thought, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to see that. You don't want to see that at all. But she was occupied with other other things. What did you think, speaking of the, the station, when we get the space shuttle and we have the kind of jump scare gross outs with what has happened to the other astronauts, that the debris from the satellite basically went through the one guy, yeah. the other ones are dead, and you get the sort of jump scare. And I thought, oh, dear. <laughs> the movie is set up as a thriller. And I think getting faced with the... What can possibly happen here? 
here is what you are fighting against. You not only have to deal with the debris that's flying around, you have to deal with what happens if decompression happens. Here is a stark reality of what happened to your crewmates, what can possibly happen to you. We are going to make sure you understand this is how bad it can get. Yes, you've already experienced the isolation of being out in the middle of nowhere, but now you can see what you will turn into unless you do something. Do you want to be that? Do you want to die in this cold vacuum of space or do you want to get back to earth mm -hmm. i think that's starting to put the fear in there i think you need that in this film i think you need that reminder of these are your choices that are that can be happening here you've got the live person of george clooney you've got the damaged body of the uh, one astronaut who was out there with them and you've got the two people who were inside the, the safety of the space shuttle as the space shuttle was destroyed there they are okay What's your choice? How are you going to deal with this? So mm -hmm. a little bit of gruesomeness, but I, I think it was needed in that. I think it was a reminder of what she's facing. Everything has to be a reminder of what she's facing. What do you think of the contrast between that and the ham radio that she picks up and she's hearing about life on Earth in, in sort of she's got the dogs that she can mm -hmm. hear, the baby, the lullaby. What do you think about that contrast? I like it. I think that that that's where she is on she's on the escape pod from the international space station the russian one and she's trying to get over to uh, she's trying and failing to get over to the chinese space station and she's searching for some kind of communication because all the communication satellites are out and she picks up a ham i think you said a ham radio mm -hmm. signal that's coming from an inuit tribe and it's somebody who's talking about his dogs he's laughing about life she can't understand him which again helps with the isolation. If she could understand him, even if she can't respond back to him, okay, that's fine. But she would have some kind of connection, but it's just sound. But she does hear the baby laughing. She hears what sounds like a lullaby. She hears the dog barking. I think that also helps her give her a reminder of what's there on earth, what she's leaving. The isolation that that person's feeling and the isolation she's feeling, she's seeing some connection there, but she wants to get back to that. She wants to own that again. What's your thought on it? I think that it helped make the uh, hallucination possible because yeah. she had sort of settled into this quiet space. Mm -hmm. It also helped me as the audience connect with her as a person. Mm -hmm. Here she is woo-wooing with the dog because she honestly would like to howl herself. Yeah. Then you have the child sounds and there she is without her daughter and you see that tragedy happen. So you can kind of sympathize with why she might want to relax into death with this sound going on because that's when she turns off her oxygen. Yep. And then when that leads into the hallucination of George Clooney's character again, that encourages her, you know, you've got to, what did see, plant your feet and start living life, is what he says. Mm -hmm. I was ready to root for her because I had touched what was in her heart. Mm -hmm. So I thought they did a nice job of that. The jump scare, I think, again, was there for us as the audience. So we know this is a serious business. Mm -hmm. These horrible things are the outcomes, like you were saying. Yeah. And then on the other hand, if she lives... Here's the nice things that can happen. Here's the things that are touching and human. Yeah. That that other side of this. Let me ask you this really quick. When George Clooney showed up, did you think that it was a hallucination or did you think it was real? I thought it was real. Mm -hmm. I thought it was real for a while. And I was surprised that it was fake because initially he's like, oh, it's a great story how I got here. And I'm mm -hmm. like, since he'd been doing that the whole time, telling stories like that, 
I thought, yeah, it is a good story. What'd you do? Find something to gain momentum off of. I actually went and asked my dad about that because I was trying to understand how mass and momentum work in space when they were, you know, the, what do you call it? The tethers would, you know, they keep knocking each other around like that. And I thought maybe he found something. If you can push off something in space that's bigger than you, you will move. So maybe there is something that he found in the, I know, I don't know. Cause I was trying to understand why he was drifting away from her so hard, Mm. but I loved in the scene that we're talking about when he pulls out the Russian vodka and it has a little sippy thing, you know, a little straw. Mm. (laughs) I was like, man, they're ready for alcohol in space. This is wonderful. (laughs) They got a straw and everything. (laughs) It helped you believe it because he said, did you find the vodka yet? He knows this stuff. He's a veteran up there. He knows where the Russians hide the vodka. They hide in the same place in all the vehicles. It's always right here. Yep, there it is. Yeah, you didn't find it yet? Okay. He knew exactly which buttons to press. It just felt real. And then she turns around and he's not there. And this is, and all the lights are out. And yeah, this was just in her mind. I found the lighter weight spacesuit because she's out of the big white puffy one. And she's in a different one that's for work around the station. The way the costume is done where the sleeves come down over the hands and then the the fingers are sort of loose. It gives a little bit more of a vulnerable look. I think that's a visual cue for us. And that definitely came into play with what she was doing before and after him, before it looked like it was a weakness. And after it looked like a strength, because now I have to do things with these hands. I found that kind of concentration on, on those visuals really worked for me. Speaking of visual, I noticed something and I I think it's there for a good reason. When she first gets to the space station, she gets oxygen again and she takes off her suit and she's shucking off her suit and you see her actual toned body. She gets herself up into a fetal position in front of the window. And she has a moment there where she's, she looks like a new, like a baby in a womb. Mm -hmm. And there's even the cord that's behind her that looks like the umbilical cord. There's a little bit of safety there. There's a little bit of, she is reduced down to the smallest thing, the smallest child. And she's feeling safe for a moment But it also is a bit of a restart for her, too. It's like, okay, you're now on your own. You now have a chance. You have to grow up real quickly and and survive on your own. There's a lot in that scene. I found it to be very, very beautiful. I find it interesting that that's what they used on the promo material, that that shot was what they were using. I also was trying to figure out why gravity? (laughs) The gravity of the situation? The Earth's gravity? The fact that when she does get back to Earth, she's got to fight gravity to stand up. And that was a struggle. I sort of was like, why that? And even gravity with the space stations and the orbits, because orbits are based upon gravity. And everything that's occurring is because of the gravity of Earth pulling at it and the orbits of the objects in space. So even though there is no gravity out in space, you know, you can fly around, you can float. Everything that is occurring is... Because of gravity. And like you said, too, the gravity of the situation, too, that's in there as well. I think it's a good title. I think I really like it. I sit around and think about these things if it's not an actual obvious line in the movie. Sometimes you're like, oh, there's the title, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Or it's it's the major descriptor or whatever. So it was interesting because I'm like, could have been space or something. But then I started thinking of all the definitions for gravity and how yep. it would all work. So I did that. I thought one other thing that I liked the fact that we had a countdown clock for Mm -hmm. when the debris is going to come back around the villain of the piece is this cloud of debris every 90 minutes 
that's one of the last things that George Clooney's character gives her is that every 90 minutes, this debris is going to come around. We're going to have to deal with it. And of course, the debris field is getting bigger and bigger because it's picking up other debris. It's the villain of the piece. It's the thing that they really are fighting besides everything else. Countdown that this is going to happen. And what damage is it going to rot this time? I think the other thing was interesting, all the stuff, because the Chinese station had gotten destabilized and was headed into the atmosphere. Yeah. So it's breaking apart in large chunks rather than the small debris from the satellites that we were seeing keep passing mm. by. As it's all coming through the atmosphere and there's all the streaks of the different objects and you're trying to pick out her object. And I found it interesting that on the radio, we're getting that sense of hope because Houston is now on there saying, can you identify yourself? We see the yeah. vehicle, da, da, da. And I thought, well, wasn't that interesting how they were able to do that? Yeah. It's one of those moments where I think technology, we went through this whole big space movie, but no, it's the escape vehicle at the end. And I'm like, wow, how did we track that? <laughs> <laughs> They've lost all the communication at that level because all the satellites are gone. But the things that are being tracked from Earth, and I think that it was landing somewhere in the United States, so she got lucky there. Also, the fact that they're calling out to her, but she's not responding. Here's what she's been waiting for, but because of the insanity of what's going on inside the capsule, she can't or won't respond. She doesn't even care anymore. She's just going to survive. They can find her on their own, but this is all about her at this point in time. And, and she's going to, and there's not anything that she can do either, that she is at the whim of whatever this capsule can do. Yeah. And when the water all comes in and that's when I'm like, okay, how long can I hold my breath? And <laughs> I, I sometimes do that, especially I, I watched this a second time through, so I could take some notes. And so when all that water is pouring in and I'm like, okay, last breath, you know, I would never have made it. <laughs> I could do it. And I thought, yeah, I might have been able to pull it off if it wasn't for getting the suit off because she had to do that or it was going to hold her down. I was like, this is yeah. like a suit of armor. You're going to drown in it. There's something funny about that where after everything she's been through, she's going to drown. And then, <laughs> and, and the thing that has been saving her life, the spacesuit that's been saving her life, that's what's going to kill her at the end. I do have to say the visuals, I'm assuming it's a CGI that with the disintegration of the different systems, the initial things coming in the, the initial hit, then we had it at the space center, then we had it at the other space station was really beautiful. Yeah. Those shots of things just peeling off and stuff flying and, and the sound I really appreciated because in space, there's no air. They mm -hmm. say that at the beginning of the movie to carry the sound. However, there's air in her suit. She's, she's hearing the sounds of her gloves hitting things that are metal and, and the, the way the, um, the drill thing was that she was undoing the screwdriver yep. thing. And I thought that was very clever. Yeah. I was very impressed with the filmmaking there. I'm assuming you share that uh, feeling for this movie. Oh, yeah. I, the, like I said at the beginning, the sound, the visuals, all of that, the film has to rely on a lot of that stuff because Sandra Bullock can carry a lot of the film, especially when she's mostly out of her bulky spacesuit. You know, you can see her face, but it's hard to really sell a lot of the film on heavy panting and just a face. So once she gets out of that suit and she's there, we can get her more. Up to that point, and for most of the rest of the film, we are relying on the beauty of space, the terror of this cloud, the sounds that she can hear when she can hear sound. There's a moment where George Clooney comes in the space shuttle, which again, it, you think about it, it's like, okay, this isn't real because she would have died right there, but that's okay. But when that happens and all the sound goes away, and then as the 
air starts to refill in the cabin, the sound comes back in. All of that kind of builds into this this other character, this other being, this presence in the film, which is the rest of everything else. And it's beautiful. It really is. I think they did a lot of amazing work to make the beauty and the danger of space. It's an alluring film. It recognizes what terror and what the danger is, but also the beauty that can also be there as well. Yeah, I think they did a really nice job all the way around as far as technical work using sometimes when she's looking out the window and we get the reflection of her with the reflection on the suit and the reflection on the window. And I'm like, okay, now we're into like triple reflections. This is really interesting. When she cried, the droplets were coming out. Yes, That was beautifully done because yeah, you cry in space, the water's going to get everywhere. Uh, (laughs) That was just really cool. Uh, They had her with the super short hair and I kept going, wouldn't her hair be floating around? I don't know. I don't know how much static electricity would keep it to your head. (laughs) You know, another nice thing about having the short hair is you don't have to worry about getting it up and making it look like it's floating in space. Yeah, film-wise, I thought, yeah, she had to have short hair or they were going to have a terrible... Because they had to coordinate... I was looking uh, through the credits and how many people did stunts for these long shots where she's outside the, the mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's what they're talking about is when she's in the suit and we can't really see her distinctively and they're banging around on the outside. And that's another time where I had to be a little bit careful motion sick wise because it is disorienting. There is no up and down exactly until you can orient with earth. And at that point she wasn't, she didn't care where the earth was. She cared where the door was to get in. Yeah. And yeah. we're just going from object to object. And we kept our, our up and down kept changing. And I thought film wise, trying to coordinate that between this person who's doing this long shot that they didn't edit in here for quite some of those shots were long. So coordinating between their motion, the camera motion, the lighting and all this stuff. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I don't know how much is CGI, but even if it's just trying to coordinate the person floating around. What a really interesting way to make a movie. It built tension. You know, we're so disoriented and you're like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? That pressure kept getting bigger and bigger. And I thought that was really effective. It was beautifully made. Yeah. This film was a feat of engineering in itself. They built some specific things. They built a, a light box just to replicate space and the and the lights in space. And they did a lot of things that really sold the film on what it was and what it was trying to do. And it's very beautiful for that. It really is. One other thing I wanted to just quickly mention, we should mention Ed Harris's voice as Mission Control in Houston. I was thinking about it and... We know that we have some amazing actors who have wonderful voices. James Earl Jones, Morgan Freeman. You know, we know these these people, but I think we forget how commanding Ed Harris's voice is, especially in a space movie. You hit, hear Ed Harris's voice and you think, "Oh yeah, this is this is a space movie." There's he, you feel I don't know what what you're feeling on Ed Harris. I honestly did not identify that that's who that was. <laughs> I just sort of in my mind go, okay, random person. And when I watch the credits, some of that goes by too fast for me to catch. So I'm usually looking at the job description (laughs) than the names because it's just too fast. But Mission Control was willing to joke around as well initially. You know, they're sort of feeding into Kowalski. And then again, the minute things got serious, I totally believed that voice. They knew what they were doing and I believed them. Yeah. And I think that's the the job of that position, the person who speaks to the astronauts. 
better have that kind of a voice. It's like yeah. George Clooney had the right kind of voice to calm everything down and redirect everything. And I felt like that's what that was signaling to me. It's okay. Yeah. We've got this. Yeah. The the just gravelly enough voice. You can tell it's caring. You can tell it's it's joking with him. They're joking with him out of the side of their mouth. They're doing their job and they're you can tell they're joking, they're having fun, and then you can tell that they turn towards the microphone or they turn towards the situation. We have a problem. You need to pay attention. Abort. And you believe that voice, the authoritativeness in the voice. And you need somebody good like like that there. And you didn't recognize the voice, but at the same time, there is, from watching a lot of movies, there's something in there that, like, wait, I know this. I know this voice. I This is somebody who, when they speak, I want to listen because they know what they're talking about. What did you think of the very end when she's trying to struggle up onto the shore? Did you find that a satisfactory ending or would you have liked to seen her rescued? No, I... I I did not want to see a rescue. This is a movie about her. She had her team that she saw die, and she fought, and she survived on her own. I want to assume that she gets rescued, but I don't need to know that story, because that would be about other people rescuing her at that point, instead of what she has done so far, which is rescue herself. And she's rescued herself physically and mentally, Mm -hmm. and she's willing to go on living. And I think it would have cheapened it for the story that they were telling to have to even see a helicopter coming because you know, okay, somebody else is going to come and rescue her now. She's already rescued herself. Anything else is superlative at this point in time. So I I preferred it being solo. I preferred it being about her. I think it said a lot more about her as an individual, her as a as a vision of strength. And I think going to the little bit of feminist part of this too. Go girl. I mean, go woman. You know, you've done a great job there. And and I mean, this is what you can do. This is what you can strive to be. You don't need help to do this. You can do it on your own. Do you think it would have worked with a man as well? I'm wondering if that was part of the appeal. Well, I think we've seen the story before with a man. Like Survivor? I, yeah. I, I, I think we've seen men in this kind of position before. We expect that. We mentioned The Martian. With mm-hmm, Matt Damon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we've seen those kinds of story be- stories before. I think having Sandra Bullock in this role, who she brings her own cachet anyways. And we've seen her a lot of times. We've seen her in some strong female roles, but we've also seen her in kind of a little bit of girly roles. I mean, even in her strong female roles, she's always got a little bit of that, that girly side to her too. But this is on her own, vulnerable, and with the weight of the world or the weight of space on her shoulders. So I think that it works. I think it does work more effectively. I don't think it could have worked at all with a male in the role because, eh, whatever. This is more akin to looking at Alien and looking at, you know, Ripley's Mm -hmm, character. mm -hmm. And I want to see more of that. I want to see that character. I want to see somebody who is willing to show the emotional side as well. Yeah, we definitely get the the multiple sides of her in this. Yeah. And that works. I like how she's reclaimed herself at the end. Yeah. That that really works. So I, I would tend to agree with you on that. I think it works better having a female in that role. It would have been like like you were saying, here we go again. Yeah. And it, to even go forward, I think that, that, that thinking of Captain Marvel from Marvel Comics or Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe, in that film, you see her continually standing up after she's fallen down. I think they took that from this film because it's that you're on the ground and you're fighting 
you know, after all you've been through and you are still standing. There's something very strong and powerful in that shot of, of a woman standing back up and saying, what's next? Bring it on. You know, I'm ready for the next thing. Yeah, I, I just overall, this was a very enjoyable movie. Really liked it. It's one of those that drove me downstairs and I'm chattering at my dad, you know, but <laughs> I live here and uh, I'm just like, I saw this movie and da, 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 telling him all about it. You're not going to see it, are you? Because I'm going to, you know, and then no, he's like, it's okay. I'm spoiling the whole thing. I was having a ball. So I'm definitely glad that this is the one you picked for me, I have to say, because I really did enjoy myself. And I liked going on this journey with Sandra Bullock as yeah. a character to lead us so that, that I really could identify with her. I enjoyed this one as well, too. I, I picked this one and watched it again last night and realized, yeah, I really do like this movie. I really do enjoy this movie. But that brings me to the last question, that, or one of the last questions I have, and that is, how much did you enjoy this movie? We rate this on a show with bags of popcorn, full bags of popcorn, one to five. One, you hated it. Five, you loved it. We got all the numbers in between. How many full bags of popcorn would you be willing to give this film? As much as I like it, I think I'm going to settle at four. Mm -hmm. It's not the most, the best thing I've ever seen. Oh my gosh, I can't believe nobody's ever seen this kind of movie. On the other hand, it's definitely above average. Yeah. This is not just an average thing. No, no, this this is really a great, well-made piece of work, especially, you know, I, I don't know how much direction they gave her, but I, I think that was just wonderful. Uh, but I think having a movie with some more characters might have maybe bumped it up a little as far as what I want in a movie as mm -hmm. as a five. I usually want a little bit more to it. So that, you know, filmmaking wise, it's a five. She did really good. But on the other hand, I'm like, no, but there was just sort of just her. Do I what kind of movie do I favor? Yeah, I, I'm with you. This is a really great movie. I'm with you on a four. I don't know what it is that's keeping me from getting that perfect movie status but there's just something well we only have one setting so to speak yeah that's also i think part of it because part of the filmmaking there i sometimes see you know the cleverness of how we're making the movie sometimes when we go from different scenes inside outside going up on the crane whatever those those kind of work this is very intricate very narrow in its focus I'm right there with you. I like. I don't know how to make it to five, but it's it's really high up there. I highly recommend this movie. You won't let me do four point five. I know. Well, that's because Joe November's not here. You know the rules. <laughs> you know the rules around here. You wrote them in the HR manual, right? Oh, no, no, no! Don't start that again. <laughs> okay. Speaking of which, though, where else can people find you on the internet? Well, you can find me. I hang out on Twitter to a certain extent. It's at Mountainflower1. That's without the vowels, M-T-N-F-L-W-R-1. On podcasts on the Right On Network, I'm going to spell that too. It's W-R-I-G-H-T, Right On Network. I'm on the Hunters podcast, as well as Feathers and Foes, a Birds of Prey podcast. On the network, you also have the Outcasters, a Batman and the Outsiders podcast, mm -hmm. Cassandra Payne, Batgirl. The Manhattan Project is about Friends and Seinfeld. So there's a lot of things on there. There's a straight out of Gallifrey's Doctor Who. So there's all kinds of good stuff on there. If you want to check out me or you want to check out other things on the network, we'd all love to have somebody come along for the ride. I know that I listen to your Outcasters because I like me my Tim Price, my buddy Tim. But you've got some great people on the network. I know that I've had the opportunity to be on an episode of Cheers Cast with Ashford. Right. We did an episode together because we both contribute to Cheers Cast. So 
he's a really nice guy and that's a really good network you got there so well it's all him but that is all aj <laughs> i was like i just work here he he's the he's the director i don't know what we're doing half the time well we're gonna do this this thing okay you know? sure whatever <laughs> Aim me at what you want me to talk about. We're good to go. You can find me also on Twitter at mmuckabout or on my other podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, which I host with Jeff, a man I have and would again sacrifice to die alone in the depths of space just to save myself. If you would like to be on the show, please feel free to contact me. You can reach me at Jeff and Rick present all one word at gmail.com. Big thank you to the Longbox Crusade Network for letting me use this wonderful attic of their headquarters to broadcast this show, and also to the Longbox Crusade members, who Laurel is one of them, for their help supporting the network. If you would like to support the network, head over to Patreon and search for Longbox Crusade. Grab some popcorn and pull up a seat, because we will be back in a month with another episode. The music for this episode is Fall Back by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at josephlin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9.